Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. This has been a surreal week in the United States. If you were with Jesus during this part of the Gospel of Mark, you might find it just as surreal, if not more so. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series Miracles of Jesus with this sermon entitled Jesus' Authority Over All Kingdoms, which covers Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. It can be easy for us to uh, read together aloud what we just did and maybe not perhaps, uh, maybe not really see what we read. And so I, wanna, I just want to sit in a couple of things that we just read and affirm together for just a moment. One of the things we said was this. We said, he still upholds and governs heaven and earth and all that is in them by his eternal counsel and providence. I said this earlier, earlier but I'll say it again. Uh, God has not lost one ounce of his control. Even as I said last week in the sermon that we begin to fear when it feels as though our lives are out of control because we begin to fear that perhaps maybe he has lost control, but he hasn't. Not even one little millisecond of our lives is outside the bounds and the control of our great God as he leads us, as he leads us today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. And we also said this, we said, in him, I so completely trust, I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. I, in him, I trust so completely. I just want to take a moment here in light of that to just, as your pastor, just kind of speak to our hearts maybe from a shepherding standpoint and say that um, we know, we know how easy it is to fear all that's going on in, in so many ways, at least in our lifetimes, uh, this is unprecedented. It really is. I've talked to so many who have said, I've never seen anything like this in my life, where we're, where we're self-quarantining, where we're, we're not having church services. Now, it's not unprecedented, though, in the life of the church. Uh, even in the life of the church in America, I mean, you go back right at about 100 years, and, and there was this Spanish flu that was just uh, terrifying and killing, taking the lives of so many and here in America, the, choices, uh, the churches were having to make similar choices. Do we meet? Do we not meet? Do we gather as God's people? Or do we uh, take a little bit of a, a pause from that for the sake of loving our neighbor well? And so they did that. Many churches then uh, chose not to meet just as we're doing today. And they did that in the same vein, in the same heart that we're doing this today, and which is we want to do our part in loving our neighbors to mitigate uh, community sharing, the spreading of this virus. But here's what we don't want to do. And here's what we look back over the, the history of the church, not only in 1918, but the church throughout the globe as it dealt with the, the plagues of the Middle Ages and even the early church as they dealt with sickness. We don't give in to fear. We don't shrink back, but we move forward with faith. Uh, we trust so completely the God who holds our lives in his hands. We trust him. And we believe that moving forward with faith is not, um, it, what this doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that we move forward with foolishness. 
It doesn't mean that we move forward with dismissiveness, that we dismiss a real threat. If we were to do that, then that would be foolish. It means we move forward with wisdom, with prudence, with responsibility. And we seek to love each other and love our neighbor in a way to where we are benefiting them in the best ways that we know how, that they may flourish as we seek to honor our God, even in the midst of trying times. It's a great opportunity for us to remember the words of Jesus uh, when he said in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And then he says this, not as the world gives peace, because we want to look, we, we clamor for peace, but we, we tend to look for it in the wrong places. We look for it in news reports and those kind of things when it's only found true peace in the person of Jesus. And then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We don't want to be afraid. We want to trust. Another thing we want to do very quickly is we want to pray. We want to be a people of prayer, praying for those who have been affected, who have, uh, who have the virus or have had it and have, are recovering, and those who are at the highest of risks in getting it, those who are of, of older age and, and perhaps with uh, pre-existing medical conditions. Uh, we want to pray for them, and we want to pray that God uh, would protect them, we want to pray this too. We want to say, oh God, would you, please would you thwart this virus and the spreading of it and may it leave us quickly and may we be in a place very soon where we are not having to take these kind of measures. So we pray for God's mercy. We pray for his protection. Uh, we also pray that he would strengthen his church during these times, that we would come out of this as God's people even stronger than what we went in trusting in our God, praying, beseeching him to do what only he can do. We talk about this often, but may we be a people in prayer of radical dependence upon our God, that his purposes would be done in the midst of this season of our lives. Lastly, I just want to just admonish you to do this. I want you to, to think about and pray about what would it look like for me to serve in a time like this, Yes, we need to self-quarantine. Yes, we need to be careful about where we're going and what we're doing. But the church throughout, throughout history, when you look at the, the church in the midst of these kind of, kinds of crisis, they moved forward into the fray when the rest of the world was running away. Now, again, with wisdom and prudence, but what does that look like for us? How do we love our neighbors well? Maybe there's someone who's contracted the virus, who's older in your neighborhood, who's really struggling and needs groceries. Go get them. Maybe there's uh, people that you know who are stricken with fear. Share the gospel with them. Help them understand the peace that is available to us in Jesus. People are asking questions during this time because life feels so fragile right now. And it's in times like these when the fragility of life is so exposed. When God steps in, like he has many times over and over, to bring the gospel to bear in the hearts of people, to receive Jesus and understand he is the one that I have so longed for. So serve. Serve with your schools, your local co-ops, all these children and families who depend on school meals that now with schools canceling, how are they going to be fed? May the church step in. May we be the people of God uh, fulfilling that need. Our community outreach department is going to be uh, updating you often. Make sure you stay engaged with our social media and with our website because we're going to update you on ways, practical ways, that if you're healthy, that you can serve. So let's be a people who trust. Let's be a people who pray. And let's be a people who serve. 
Let me pray in that direction. Father, we thank you that you are so trustworthy, that you are faithful, that you are good. Father, fill us with faith, not fear. Give us wisdom, uh, not foolishness. Lord, may we be a people who responsibly carry the, the gospel of Jesus in deed, in the way that it's demonstrated, the hands and the feet of Jesus, but then also in word that we would proclaim who Christ is in these trying times. Father, would we be a people who pray that, that, that we just so long your, to, uh, to long for your face, to be in your presence, to have you lead us, O oh great shepherd, good shepherd Jesus, would you lead us as we depend upon you and as we ask you to do what only, what only you can do. And Lord, may we serve. Strengthen us to serve others, to love our neighbors well. God, we thank you. We, we praise you, Lord. And we ask that even as we continue now in our service, as we move towards the opening of your word and all the various places that we're worshiping together through modern technology, would you be praised? For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's at this time in our service that we normally uh, would have the offering in the sense that we pass the baskets around. That's obviously gonna be challenging for us this morning. But let me admonish you to do this. Uh, still give, still let your giving of your tithes and your offerings, God's tithes and his offerings, be a part of your worship this morning. Um, thankfully, we live in an age where you don't have to be present to do that. Would you continue to give to the furtherance and the work of God's kingdom? And you can do that online through our website. You can do that through our app. Uh, you can do it through text to give, which is an option that many of our, many of our uh, members choose to do. Uh, you can also do it, uh, many of you still continue, and, and I think it's awesome just to mail in your tithe uh, each week. And so uh, remember to do that. Uh, it's, it's now more perhaps than ever that we need to continue to be a people of generosity so that we can uh, help fuel the mission of God's church to meet those needs of those uh, who are struggling during this time, that we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus in that way. Um, as you do that, as you consider how to worship God in your giving, uh, we're going to move into the sermon and we had planned many months ago the, the preaching schedule, and it just so happened uh, that it's, it was Caleb's time to preach both this week and next week. So he gets to be the guinea pig in, in, in teaching to a camera. Uh, so you can even stop right now and pray for him. Is this, is, this is not what we preachers are used to. We're not used to looking into a lens. We're, we're used to looking at people's faces. And so, uh, but he's going to lead us now in the preaching and the teaching of God's word. And so let me pray for him as we prepare our hearts. Father, uh, thank you for the blessing it is to open your holy and your living word. Would you bless the teaching of your word this morning through Caleb? Would you anoint him and would you use him? Even in this strange format, uh, it's not strange to you. You are at work. And so would you give him your words that you may teach our hearts and our minds this morning? And as always, as we've prayed many times already, would you do it for your glory? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Mark chapter five. We are gonna not read the whole text here at this moment, but instead we're gonna kind of work through it as we go through the sermon. And if you've been with us, you know, we're in this series where we're looking at the miracles of Jesus. 
uh, these signs that Jesus gives of his authority over every single thing that God has made, these signs that call each one of us to come and to lay our lives at his feet. And our story today, the miracle we're looking at today, this is, this is one of my favorites. Uh, because if ever there's a story where I could go, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for this moment. This might be one. Because here's the story we're looking at. Jesus confronts this man who's been possessed by thousands of demons. And Jesus doesn't just cast the demons out of the man. Jesus, Jesus allows the demons to go into a herd of pigs. And those pigs then proceed to throw themselves off the side of a cliff and drown. It's an insane story. Uh, it's one of those that you read and you go, why? Why is that part in the Bible? But here's what I hope we see this morning. What we see here in this text, it's insane. But it's also the merciful heart of our God. The heart he has for us even this morning. And so let's go before him and pray before we dig in. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the midst of a world that's in flux but we're grateful that we come into the presence of one who's not. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you are the same this morning. And so, Lord, we ask, feed us with your Son through the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that's always amazed me is the way that God so uniquely saves his people. Uh, he doesn't always follow a script. He doesn't always go in the way that we would think. And, and my mom's story is one of those stories that doesn't seem to follow the normal script. Uh, she didn't grow up in the church. Uh, she didn't grow up hearing the gospel of Jesus. And her first encounter with the gospel, it was when her hippie brother Earl left for college full of drugs and then showed up on their doorstep with his jeans patched and the drugs gone, but Jesus on his lips and ready to tell everybody that he knew about him. And my mom uh, she didn't know what to do with that. And this is where it goes off script. My mom, at the same time that this was happening, my mom decided to go with her friends to see this movie. Uh, a movie that was really popular at the time and one that if my mom was in this room, she would tell you adamantly that she in no way recommends and I'm in no way recommending. So please do not go watch this movie because I mentioned this. But it was this movie about a little girl possessed by a demon called The Exorcist. <laughs> and my mom... She walked out of that movie and she knew, she knew that while that movie was fiction, there was this sneaking suspicion that she just couldn't escape. That maybe, maybe the world it spoke of, while the movie was fiction, maybe that world wasn't. And maybe there were forces in this world that she didn't understand and forces that she couldn't control. And maybe, maybe Jesus had something to say about that. And for my mom, it was like the dominoes, they just started to fall. Mark 5, Mark 5 lifts the veil on that world. Mark 5 says the world you live in, it's not just what you taste and what you touch and what you feel. Mark 5 says what the rest of the Bible says, that we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, we wrestle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And there is one who from the very moment God created the world, there is one who is sought with all of his power to destroy what God has made. One who is like a roaring lion who is looking for someone to devour, who exists for one reason, to steal and to kill and to destroy. And his power and his influence have been felt over every square inch of this planet. And not just in the obvious places, not just in the places where it's really visible like the demon-possessed man, but even in us whether we have eyes to see it or not. And what Mark 5 says 
is there's only one who can deliver us. And here's where the good news of the gospel gets so sweet. He came into this world with one purpose, to destroy the works of the devil wherever they are found, to plunder the house of the strong man and to crush the serpent's head, even as God promised he would all the way back in Genesis 3. And he's come not just to deliver people out there, but in mercy, he's come to deliver you and me. And the mercy he offers, the mercy we see right here, it's a mercy that we need. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil for us. You know, the context of this story is crazy. Jesus and his disciples, they've just crossed the sea because Jesus, while he's sitting there teaching the crowds, he's decided for some reason that he doesn't tell the disciples uh, that they need to leave. They need to leave the crowds and go across the sea to the other side. And no sooner do they get onto the sea than suddenly they find themselves facing something they don't expect. A storm. A storm that almost kills them until Jesus, who's been sleeping in the boat, because, you know, that's what Jesus does. Jesus stands up and says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves cooperate. They go still. And the disciples, they're now sitting in the boat with this man who speaks and the wind and the waves obey. And they're going, who, who in the world did we get in the boat with? Who's this person that we're crossing to the other side with? But before they have any time to process that, before they have any time to wrestle with what they've just experienced and what they've just seen, they come to the other side and immediately they're met by a threat of a very different kind. Here's what it says, starting in verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, a predominantly Gentile region. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boats, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, a man possessed by a demon. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, and he fell down before him. Here's who comes running at the disciples when they near the shore. It's a man in bondage. Now, we don't know. Mark doesn't tell us how he got this way. We don't know his family story. We don't know his life. We just know this. At this moment in his life, the only way you can describe this man's experience is that it's a living hell. Everything has been stripped from him. His humanity has been distorted to such a degree that it is almost unrecognizable. The demon has made him so violent that he's a threat not just to himself but to everybody around him so that his community, the people who ordinarily would love him and care for him, they have just tried to contain him with anything they can find. And so they've bound him with chains and with shackles, not just once or twice, but again and again and again. And the demon in him is so strong that he's broken the shackles and he's broken the chains and nothing, no group of people can contain him. He's not living in community. He's living among the tombs. A man who has been pushed out of society because everyone looks at him and says, here is someone who's as good as dead. And every day and every night, he is screaming 
and crying and moaning with sounds that must have sent shivers down the spine of every child and every shepherd. And he's cutting himself with stones, maybe because the demon is trying to destroy the image of God in him more, maybe because the man just wants to escape and even that's being denied him. That's, that's who meets the disciples coming off the boat. He's naked, he's screaming, he's covered in scars and blood and there are broken chains and shackles hanging off of his hands and his feet and he is running towards the boat with one aim in mind to do to the disciples and to Jesus the thing that made so many people bind him before. And then Jesus speaks and everything, everything changes. The man that no one could subdue the man that chains couldn't hold, he falls to his knees. And here's what it says in verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, I beg you, by God, do not torment me. And why does he fall to his knees? For Jesus... Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Why does the demon stop? Why does the man hit his knees? It's because the demon knows that voice. The crowds may not have figured it out yet. The disciples, they're still grappling with it. They're not quite sure who it is they've agreed to follow. But the demon demon knows. That's the voice of the one who created the heavens and the earth. That's the son of the most high God, and that is the one before whom one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, including the demons. And what you hear in the voice of that demon, there may be defiance, there may be anger, and there may be rage, but there is certainly this, there's terror, because he realizes in that moment that his days are numbered. You might go, well, if Jesus has that power, why does the demon not just immediately leave the man? The answer is just this. It's not that Jesus doesn't have the power. It's that Jesus wants his disciples and he wants us to see exactly what kind of power this man was under. Jesus turns to the man and he says to him in verse 9, what is your name? Speaking to the demon. And the demon replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. He uses as his name the word that a Roman would use for a, a unit of the army that had been about 6,000 men. He's essentially saying with this, in his response that there are thousands of us in here, Jesus. You want to know why the people couldn't contain me, why the chains couldn't hold me? Because there are thousands of demons in this one man. We are many, and yet notice this. He is begging like a scared child in front of Jesus. And look what happens next. He begged him earnestly, notice that language, not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they, the demons, begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
Now, let's just set aside the pigs for a moment because we're going to come back to them. I know that's the question everyone wants to ask. But I want you to notice this. Jesus subdued the demons with a word. Jesus took that thing that no one could bound and his authority and power were such that they fell to their knees and they begged him for release and they begged him for safety. There was no one who could stand before him. But notice this too. Jesus doesn't just subdue the demons with his word. He sets the man free. Because when you see that man again, he's not at war with himself and at war with others. In verse 15, he gives you three words to describe him. First, he's the man who had been possessed, but is no more. But he's sitting there, not running at people trying to hurt them. He's sitting at peace at the feet of Jesus. He's not naked, but verse 15 says he's clothed, which that one word tells you so much about the tenderness of Jesus, because that means that once that man, the demons were cast out, Jesus took the time to find something to cover his shame. And he's no longer out of his mind, but it says he's in his right mind. He no longer sees the world distorted and confused. He sees it clearly as it actually is. Jesus restored a dead man to life, and he did it with his voice. That's the deliverer of Mark 5. We need that same deliverer. Whether we know it or not, Every one of us was born into this world under the domain of darkness. And we see and we feel its effects every single place that we look. And if you sit there and you go, well, I don't know where that would be. Where do I see the domain of darkness in my, in my life and in this world? Well, I just say to this, look for the places where the truth and the goodness of God are being questioned. Look for those places where the image of God and man is being defaced, even as it was in this man. And look most especially at this. Look at death. You see it through the gates of Auschwitz. You see it in the back rooms of abortion clinics. You see it in a criminal justice system that so often treats people as numbers to be processed and not image bearers of God to be redeemed. You see it in the scars etched in the arms of the little girl who cuts herself again and again just because she wants to feel something. You hear it in the voices that run through your head that tell you how horrible you are and how ugly you are and how terrible you, your life has been and the things that you've done that, that scream in your mind because you hate yourself and you hate what you see. And we feel it in this. There's a reason we're sitting right now in this space and not on the sanctuary. There's a reason you're sitting on your couch. There's a reason we're not here together. It's because we live in a world where every single one of us, ever since the fall, we have lived with this certainty. Death is not an option. Death is something that's coming for all of us because sin has entered the world. We need a deliverer who's stronger than we are. Whose mercy is as expansive as the heavens and the earth and yet is attentive to the smallest of people. And Mark 5, Mark 5 says, that's Jesus. You know, why, why did Jesus tell his disciples, let's cross the sea and go to the other side? The disciples have no idea. Jesus does. 
because he's the good shepherd leaving behind the crowd, the 99, to chase the one lost sheep. Jesus came through a storm for one man. And you have this little window, this tiny picture of what Jesus is doing, not just in that one moment, but with the entirety of his life and ministry. Because who's Jesus? He's the son of the most high God who crossed the divide between heaven and earth and took on human flesh and then bore the storm of the Father's wrath against sin for you and for me. And he did it for this purpose. Hebrews 2. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the one who plucks us out of the tombs even as he plucked this man. Jesus is the one who takes even death, that thing that seems immovable and undefeatable, that thing that Satan wields with power because he knows that he can condemn us because what is it we're all afraid of in death? That death will just be a doorway to judgment, but what Jesus says is, no, I've made death a doorway to paradise where you go not to the arms of a judge but of a father. And you go to his arms not as those who leave this world behind, but as those who will receive it back in ways you never could have dreamed in a resurrected body just like his. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil for us. But he's done more than that. He came to destroy the works of the devil in us. I said I'd come back to the pigs because why in the world did Jesus let the demons destroy the pigs? Now, why, in all of his goodness, why does Jesus say yes to the demons? Because those, de those pigs, that's someone's livelihood. That's how someone feeds their kids. That's someone's 401k. That's, that's, so, that's food for somebody's table. And yet Jesus lets the demons send 2,000 pigs over the side of a cliff. Why? You know, the commentators, they fight about this. But I don't think the answer is all that hard. In fact, I think it's incredibly simple. The problem is it's just deeply and profoundly uncomfortable. And I want us to pay careful attention to what happens next. Look at this in verse 14. The herdsmen fled as one does when your pigs get possessed by demons and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. Again, if you hear that there's demons that are flying into pigs and then pigs are flying off cliffs, you go to see what happened. Like I said, I want to see this story take place. But notice this. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion but doesn't anymore, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began, and notice the language, to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Jesus takes a man who is dead and he makes him alive. He takes a man who has been in bondage to thousands of demons for as long as we know. And Jesus heals and restores him. And look at the response of the people. It's not joy. It's not excitement. It's fear. Because what is Jesus doing? Jesus is exposing something they don't want to see. 
Because what did they do that tells you everything you need to know about their hearts? They responded just like the demons did. Jesus came near in mercy. He restored and healed a man broken and ravaged and where they should have felt compassion, what they felt instead was fear because the things they counted as more precious than a person had died. Jesus took their pigs. And what's revealed is that these people who's put together manicured lives look so much better than the demon-possessed man, they're actually just in as much bondage as he was. They're just as out of their minds as he was because behind their manicured lives lie demonic hearts. And what's worse is they have given their yes to the same one who would steal and kill and destroy. Why did Jesus let the demons go into the pigs? Because he wanted to lay their hearts bare and show them that the mercy that he had given to that man, it was a mercy they needed as well. They needed a deliverer. C.S. Lewis, he's famously said, you know, that Jesus, Jesus is good, but he sure ain't safe. You see that right here. Because Jesus, he hasn't just come to destroy the works of the evil one for us. He's come to destroy the work of the evil one in us. And that means there's not a single table that he's going to leave unturned. He is going to come nearer and nearer and nearer and expose every single nook and cranny of your heart to the light of his gospel because he would make you and I whole. And here's what's scary. Jesus, he'll kill your pigs and he won't apologize. He doesn't hear. That may be what he's doing to us right now. Our whole world has seemingly just come apart at the seams in the space of a couple weeks. Everything that we thought we had control of that felt safe and good, all of it is suddenly in flux. And what are we all feeling in our hearts? I know what I'm feeling in mine. There's fear. There's worry. There's those questions of, am I going to lose the things that I count as precious? Why would Jesus do that? Because Jesus doesn't care about your pigs cares about you. And he would rather kill your pigs than you lose your soul. That's the heart of Jesus. This, this isn't Jesus being rude. This isn't Jesus being wrathful. This is Jesus moving in mercy. And you might say, well, that doesn't feel like mercy. Well, surgery doesn't feel like healing, but it's the beginning, isn't it? Jesus is exposing our hearts so that they would be healed and full. That's Jesus. But the crowd, they send him away. They beg him to leave. When Jesus kills your pigs, the question is, is how are we going to respond? Are we going to beg him to leave? Or are we going to fall on our knees and say, Jesus, deliver me? Destroy what is evil in me. The mercy you offer, it's the mercy I need. And catch this. Jesus says yes to the people once again, but he doesn't abandon them because in his mercy, he leaves behind a missionary. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. He begged again. Did you notice that? And he did not permit him 
but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Three times people have begged Jesus for things in this text. The demons begged, the crowd begged, and now this man begs and yet only once has Jesus said no. And it's to the one request that seems the best. Jesus, let me be with you. I mean, wouldn't that be what you wanted? Would you want to stay in the place where they chained you and bound you and treated you like you were dead? I'd want to go and be with the one who had mercy on me when I was at my very worst. I would want to go and be with the one who was tender and loving, who when I was naked, he clothed me. When I was bound, he freed me. I'd want to be with Jesus. And yet, what does Jesus do? Jesus says, go home. Go back to the people who wounded you. Go back to the ones who already listed you off and wrote you off as dead. And tell them, tell them how the mercy that the Lord has shown you. Do you realize what Jesus just did? He placed in the midst of the people who begged him to go a living, breathing testimony about their hardness of heart. A constant reminder that they cared more about their pigs than they did about a person that their hearts were in bondage and needed to be redeemed. And at the very same time, a living, breathing reminder that the one that they sent away, he is one who in mercy is able to save to the uttermost, even people like them. And this man, he proclaims that mercy and in a hint that Jesus was not finished when he got back in the boat and went on the other side, it says the people, they marveled not just in that place, but in the 10 cities. Maybe you're wondering right now why Jesus has you where you are. Maybe you're wondering why it is that everything in your life feels like it's crashing down. And maybe, maybe it's because at this moment, Jesus is exposing your heart the way he's exposed the crowd here in this text. And maybe that's Jesus calling you to come and embrace the mercy that is found only in him in the arms of the only one who can deliver you. Or maybe, maybe you're like the demon-possessed man and you're just going, Jesus, I just want to be with you. But he's left you in your circumstances which seem hard and difficult. Hear this. Jesus has left you where you are that you would be a signpost of mercy. That you would say, just as the demon-possessed man, the mercy that the Lord has shown me, it's a mercy I receive. Notice this, in Jesus. Jesus is the one who has shown me mercy. And that we would offer those who live in fear of death and who live in the dominion of the evil one, we would offer them the hope of the one who can set them free. Mark 5, Mark 5 says, in the presence of Jesus... This one whose mercy so overflows, there's just one response. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what's going on right now, it's just this. You fall on your knees to the, for the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and not just over the created things, but even over the spiritual forces of this world. And you fall on your knees and you say, Jesus, deliver me.
destroy what is evil in me. The mercy you offer, it's the mercy I need. Amen. Amen. So good, brother. Thank you. Uh, We don't normally get the chance to do this um, in our normal worship service settings, um, but this isn't normal. And so we, uh, I just want to take just a moment and come behind the sermon and do what I hope you will do at home. Uh, as soon as we finish here, I hope you'll take an extra 5, 10, 15 minutes um, with who you're with. Some of you may be watching alone and worshiping with us alone, and that's great. Do it later with some friends, perhaps, or family members. Uh, but if you're with someone now, if you're with your spouse or your kids or whoever it may be, take a moment and, and discuss what you've heard. Uh, allow the Lord to, to press into your hearts what we have just heard, this, this good word from the Scriptures uh, that Caleb led us in so well, uh, to press in more. What would God have me take from this? You know, some of the things that I wrote down, Caleb, that I just thought, I mean, I took a page and a half of notes, so um, I can't hit everything that I wrote down. But, um, you know, one of the things you said that I think probably is ringing true in all of our ears is Jesus doesn't care about your pigs. He cares about you. And he's willing to kill your pigs uh, and not apologize for it in order that he may get your heart and that we would see uh, who he is and his mercy. And that, you know, the thing I'm chewing on over here is that it's how do we define mercy a lot of times? You know, like we, we have this fairly narrow view of what does it mean for God to be merciful? Um, but there's a lot of times where God's mercy is, is painful, it's violent, it hurts. It's not what we would have chosen for ourselves, but it's the very thing that God and his power and his knowledge, his sovereignty, his goodness knows, man, this is, this is what they need in order to see what's truly valuable. Um, and so, you know, thinking again, what could be more applicable for us even now as we think about uh, market crashing and, and things that we've invested in, whether it be monetarily or just even uh, sports and things that we've practiced for. I've, I've talked to so many families where, and our family has been affected by our kids who have put hours and hours and hours into practices for winter and spring sports. And all of a sudden, season's over. Uh, it's in moments like that that you go, hey, what, what's most important to me? Vacations being canceled. Where, where am I holding those in terms of where is my true rest? Uh, is this merciful by God to, uh, to get me to where he wants me to be? Um, I'll say one more thing, and I'd love for if, if you guys have any thoughts. If not, you can just say, nope, Jeff, I don't have any thoughts. Um, but I'll say one more thing. I think there is a great measure And what Caleb has led us through this morning and in this text, there's a great measure of God's grace and God's mercy to be embraced in this COVID-19 situation we're in. Uh, One of the things that we don't do well, and this is just one small application, one of the things that we don't do well as a society, as a people, even in the church, we we don't live very differently from the world, sadly, in this way. We are incredibly busy people, overcommitted, and drowning in the craziness of life. Trying to get our kids to this place, to this place, to this place, and this commitment, and that commitment, and this work, and all this. And what God has done, one of the things, he's doing a lot of things in this, assuredly. One of the things that he's doing is he's giving us an opportunity to slow down, to rest, to stop. To be with him and to be with each other. 
and with our family. So what a grace, what a mercy in that. Laura, any thoughts you had? I kind of was thinking the same thing because that's his call to this man. He says, go home and tell your friends. Mm. You know, the man's wanting to go on the mission, (laughs) but Jesus is wanting him to go home and consider what the Lord has done for you. Mm. I think in the midst of this situation that I can't control, that I can't fully understand, Mm. the one thing I can do is go home and consider Mm. how good the Lord has been to us. Amen. Well said. Well said. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll spend some time either alone or with others um, considering what the Lord has done for you. One last thought, and then I'll give us the benediction, and then we'll sing the doxology like we always do. Um, we, we hope, well, let me say this. One of my concerns personally is that we're going to have to do this format for, for several weeks. We don't know how long we'll trust the Lord with that, but it's, it's likely that this is where we'll be with you in the, in the coming weeks. And one of my concerns is this, is that, that you get so comfortable with this format, getting to worship in your PJs with your cup of coffee, whatever it may be, um, that you just, you get too settled into this. And when it's time to come back and gather as God's people, you go, I don't know. And so let me, let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. Don't get comfortable with this. This is not the way that we need to be gathering as God's people. By God's grace, we can do this. But when it's time to gather again, we will not, as Hebrews says, forsake the gathering of God's people. And so what I hope is that this is not something you get comfortable with, but this format here is something that actually drives you, compels you to long to be with God's people again when it's, a, when it's time for that. So with that, Receive the Lord's benediction that comes to us uh, this time. It's not the one I normally do. It's going to be the one that Randy did for years and years and years, because I think it is most appropriate for where we are together as a body of believers this morning. From Jude 24 and 25, I'll stand as you receive this blessing over you, over your family, over God's people. And I would say, just raise your hands, even where you are, to receive this blessing. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's sing it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.